When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. Welcome to episode 447 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dean Hilton, and while I wasn't able to get someone from the Spanish prosecutor's office, I was able to get Patreon Mike Crimmins to help me try to make some sense of all the Negrata case business, what we know, and maybe what we are staring at in the future in terms of punishments, sanctions, things like that. And if we have any time in the show at the end, we will even maybe even do a little El Clasico preview, which does tell you because when I say a little El Clasico preview, it tells you just how magnanimous this whole thing is going on with the Negrana case. So based on the rundown, you know, I do plan on getting to that at the end as well as the Gabi registration, but we'll just see how far we can get by talking about just how serious these charges are. Mike, uh, unfortunately, I would love to have you on for better things, but your expertise also means that these are the kind of situations I have to call you up for. Well, it's always good to talk to you, Dan, but yeah, I wish we were talking about uh, a happier topic today. Yeah, well, with your expertise, uh, I, let me first lay out the overview of the case and the charges, and we'll kind of set the the table for that. And then we'll start with, because of what so much is speculation right now of what's going on, um, the, the, the where things are known and what it could mean. You know, we're, you and I are just looking through Spanish law and trying to figure out <laughs> exactly what, what it means because that's what it is. It's, it's at the prosecutor's office to think of that. So let's lay out the, yeah, like kind of the, the stakes of the case. So what we know, primary facts, this story, which is broken by um, Sir, states that FC Barcelona allegedly made payments from 2001 to 2018 to former referee Jose Maria Enrique Negrera with the allegations that the payments were in exchange for referee decisions in their favor. The payment stopped in 2018 
which is also the same event that Guerrero was no longer the VP of the referee committee, which seems to be the issue here because it is not common or it is not uncommon for teams to pay for consultation from former referees. The issue was that he was the acting VP of the referee committee at the time. So potential important detail. Almundo reported that 2018 was also when Aguero threatened to reveal irregularities if Barcelona didn't continue making payments under the Bartomeu regime. And from 2018 to 2023, Negrera never went to authorities about any regularities. And we'll get into that as to why he may or may not have done that. So the payments were made by Barcelona to DASNIL. I, Dasnil, I don't know how to say that. The 95, that is a company owned by Henrique Negrera through his son, Javier, who is the one accepting the payments to the company. And that's why Bartomeu had come out and said that he did not know that Enrique Negrera was in charge of this company because he was only in correspondence with his son, Javier, for these reports that we will also get into. So the charges, the charges put forth by the prosecutor's office are for a crime of sports corruption. This was a complaint filed against Enrique Negrera, the directors of FC Barcelona, or Barcelona itself as a legal entity, which is going to be an important note here, which is both the same thing and separate. And again, we'll get into that. So these charges fall under a law that came into effect in 2010 as a reform of the penal code that made specific language that created a new crime of corruption in business. This crime is punishable with prison terms ranging from six months to four years. Any director, administrator, employee, or collaborator of a company that received, requested, or accepted an unjustified benefit or advantage, or offered or promised to obtain it as consideration to unduly favor another in the acquisition or sale of merchandise in the contracting of services or in commercial relations. All right. That didn't make any sense. Oh, we'll get to why, <laughs> what the sense that that makes. So also added to the penal code in 2015 was a paragraph that included sports corruption, which this is also in particular to this case, which became applicable to the director, administrators, employees, or collaborators of a sports entity, also including athletes and referees, any of which conducted themselves with the purpose to deliberately and fraudulently predetermine or alter the result of a test, meeting, or sports competition of special economic or sporting relevance. In other words, intent, and I'll say this very loudly here, intent is a really important part of these charges and the eventual ruling. In the complaint and filed charges, Jose Maria Bartomeu, Sandra Rosell, Barcelona as a legal entity, former directors Oscar Grau and Albert Soler were the accused. Of the $7.3 million that was paid to Nagara, it is being reported that $7 million of it was paid from 2014 to 2018, and that is what the charges are for. Because as I said before, the law came into effect in 2010. So any payments made prior to 2010, they may be unethical, they may be immoral, but they are not what is being brought into this case because they do not fall under that law because the law came into effect in 2010. So if you see Laporta and how he is caught up in this whole thing, it is as the current president of Barcelona, as the legal entity currently being sued, along with those all the other parties that I mentioned, including Negrera himself, along with Bartomeu and Rizal, Grau and Soler. So, all right, that was a lot, Mike. That was a lot. I, I think I'm going to take a nap. I'm going to hand it over to you for a little <laughs> while here because <laughs> there was, was a bit to, to try to get through. But I, I think that's in the, the legalese of it. That's what they're, that being Barcelona is facing. Again, intent is a really important part of this, but the, the push and pull of what the point of this report was, what the report, what, when these reports, the, the nature of these reports, where the reports, all these different things, including we'll, we'll start here, is that for anyone who believes that Barcelona is completely innocent of everything at all, the fact that the prosecutor's office would bring forth charges 
without evidence, as you will mention and be speaking about, is highly unlikely, which means that there is not just smoke and fire. There is a full blaze here. But to what extreme, to what level is Barcelona culpable and to what nefarious criminal <laughs> criminal charges are true and valid in this case? Yeah. Wow. There's so much, there's so many angles to this. So it's hard to know where to start, but let me, let me first let our listeners know, uh, you know, who I am. I was a U.S. lawyer for 15 years. And then for 12 years after that, I owned and ran an international corporate private investigation firm that operated throughout Latin America, where I obviously witnessed plenty of corrupt practices. And in fact, a large part of what my company did and what I did was investigate uh, corruption under the U.S. Foreign Corrupt Practices Act and the U.K. Bribery Act. So I'm not a Spanish lawyer. I'm not an expert in Spanish law or corrupt practices in Spain specifically, but I have a lot of experience in these issues generally, and especially in Latin America. So that's where I'm coming from. There's also a couple of important things I think that we should talk about just to get out of the way, because the online discourse about this seems to relate a lot to Tebas and sort of his attitude mm-hmm. to Barca. And, and even Laporta says that, you know, Tebas and others who are anti, anti-Barcelonistas are just trying to, you know, sully the the club through this, but you know, that's, I think Tebas is anti-Barca. It seems pretty obvious that he's anti-Barca and there's, there's obviously media in Spain who are anti-Barca, but that doesn't mean Barca's innocent just because there are people out there out mm-hmm. to get Barca and hate Barca and say bad things about Barca. Doesn't mean that, that the club didn't do bad things. It can both be true that, you know, uh, people hate Barcelona and Barcelona is not uh, completely innocent here. Right. And then the second thing is, I'm so tired of people on the internet saying, oh, well, look at this call that went against us in 2016. This couldn't, we couldn't possibly be corrupt because otherwise this call would have gone in our favor or anti-Barca people on the internet saying, oh, look at this call you got, you know, or you, you didn't get a penalty for, uh, you know, 70 games. Therefore, you're obviously guilty. Uh, you know, neither one of those positions makes much sense. It's going to come down to what was done, what was paid, what the agreement was and what the intent of that agreement was and if it was a corrupt agreement and whether that corrupt agreement fits within the, the definition that are, that's in the code, it's in the statute. I mean, and for right or wrong, you know, Barca could have done terrible things, you know, really corrupt things, but if it doesn't actually fit within the, sta- the, the language of the statute, then they likely won't get convicted of the crime. Yeah, well, let, me let, let me elevate that. Let me elevate that again. That that that's again the point that you can talk about red cards and penalties and not penalties and whatever, and you can go back and look through the film. But those instances are not going to be important because, again, the primary word here is intent. Even if nothing happened, even if Barcelona never got a single referee or anything like that in their favor, if they had the intent to get some kind of favor, that is going to be the issue. That's right, and if you. Yeah, it's like if you if you pay a judge, wink, wink, and you give him a sack full of money, and he still rules against you, like you still committed a crime, right? But only, and, and it's actually, only the crime if you're wearing a monocle and a top hat. I think you're fine <laughs> if, you, if you do it that way. Yeah, well, and it's interesting because we were just talking before the recording about Colin Millar's tweet this morning saying that Negrera's son, there's a leaked message that Negrera's son leaked the identity of the referee um, for the Copa del Rey final against Alaves while not providing that information to all of it's like that that's if that's true that's corrupt right that's not mm-hmm. that's not good but but at the same time like my first my first reaction to that was oh jesus but but does that fit within the definition of the sports corruption in the in the in the statute because the statute specifically talks the, about an effort to influence the outcome does just knowing is telling one of the 
participants who the ref will be, does that influence the outcome? I don't know. Maybe I, I could probably argue if I was a lawyer for the prosecutor, I could probably argue that that it does fit within the statute. But if I'm a lawyer for for Barcelona, I could come up with a pretty good argument that it's not. So it's going to come down to these these nuances about the technical language that of, of what exactly was done and what exactly does the statute prohibit. Yeah, and not skipping ahead too far with like with the punishments because again, that'll be the what we get to in a minute. But when you the, the example you just brought up. The common law said, like, yes, you're right. Like, that is something for the prosecutor to use in the case. So when you hear something like that, I think, okay, then they're, again, they're building evidence. They're building this case against FC Barcelona and the former presidents and Negrera and his son. And that kind of thing might institute some kind of fine or punishment. But it's like, again, not jumping ahead to the punishment stuff, but does that thing, like knowing who the referee is when your opponent doesn't two months beforehand, does that equal the the dissolving of your club so like the punishment we'll say the crime is the punishment in theory should fit the crime so when we go to talk about punishment i just want to say as you're giving examples here you know to what level will the judge say that is punishable by x based on the thing that Mm -hmm. you did right so as as damning as that information might be to the case is that information even if true damning enough not only to prove their case yet you're correct one but two is that is that a good enough evidence to bring the hammer down, if you will, on Barcelona. And again, we'll, we'll get into that, but yeah, yeah we'll see. Gonna... We're a lot, we're a long way from that, hopefully. Yeah. But when you think of great duos, who do you think of Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade? I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. (coughs) Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way, because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, 
and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So I think it might be instructive just to like lay out as the most positive case I can. Okay, so this isn't necessarily what I believe, but if I'm the spin doctor hired by Barcelona, you know, Mm -hmm. this is, you know, maybe I would say something along the lines of like, hey, look, Barcelona hired a consultant to provide reports on tendencies of referees and like what they can get away with with certain referees and how they'll referee a game, which itself is not improper and in fact is common at the top level of any sport. And sure, Barcelona paid $7 million to this to this company, which seems like an absurd amount until you think about think about what Barcelona paid for Coutinho or what they've paid to uh, Brazilian uh, agents for for Douglas and others. Right. For the better part of a decade, Barcelona grossly overpaid for everything. Uh, so the fact that they, quote unquote, paid an exorbitant amount to this particular company or consultant is meaningless. It's just another reflection of how poorly Barca was managed. Are they, corrupt, are they corrupt? Are they stupid? Or are they both? I think well, exactly. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. We, I mean, they're certainly they certainly are stupid, right? right. Uh, in a lot of a lot of the dealings they've had, and you know, there's been some speculation. And I think you know, if I was arguing, I would say, hey, they didn't even know Negreiro was involved with the company. It was his son that they dealt with, and other teams like Girona engaged him too. There's there that's a that's a well known public case because they got into a dispute over money as well. And if if Negrera, even if Negrera was involved when he was the VP of Referees Committee, that just presents an appearance of a conflict of interest. It doesn't it doesn't mean that he actually used his influence for anything in particular. Besides, if Barca were going to pay referees to help win games, why go to this largely powerless executive and not the refs on the field, as PK just pointed out in an interview this week? Okay. That's yeah, the best I mean, well, I can do. yeah, I mean, to the point on the referee too. It was the now his name his name is escaping at the moment, but one of the former referees in the league also came out and said, "Don't bring the basically don't bring the referees into this. Like, the, no referee was ever a part of this. Like, we're we're not going to go down for this. Like, we're not a part of this. Like, leave us alone in this case." Which, if anything, that might that does help Barcelona's case. You know, to put that spin on it, that like, can they can Barcelona prove that? As we said, Enrique Negrera was largely some kind of unnecessary figurehead that thought he was more important and powerful than he was. Right. And hopefully that's the case. I mean, hopefully that is the case. And, and we'll, we'll get into it, but like, it's hard to have a big conspiracy, right? It's hard to have a lot of people involved in a criminal, criminal activity without getting caught. So the idea that like there were a lot of referees involved is pretty hard to hard to get my mind around. Now, if there was one or two referees involved, maybe, right? Maybe. So anyway, like I said, that's the the best case I can sort of put forward for Barca, the most innocent case. But unfortunately, it's not totally convincing for a few reasons. First of all, where are the reports that Barca apparently or, or, or Barca claims to have paid for? 
it doesn't really make sense that you would pay millions of dollars for oral reports for phone calls from a consultant. That just doesn't line up. Although Negrera's son apparently said that he provided actual written reports to the prosecutors. But there's a lot of conflicting information about this because Valverde uh, and a source close to Pep reportedly said they never saw any reports about referees. So the, even the existence of these reports are, are questionable. Second, Negrera himself in the case said to tax authorities, this is reported in the Spanish media, that Barcelona had paid him to make sure no refereeing decisions were made against them, which is to say for everything to be neutral. So in, which is, in addition to being inconsistent with Barca's explanation, it, it pretty much is an admission of corruption. Imagine a judge saying in a, in, a, in a legal case saying, oh, sure, one of the parties gave me a sack full of money, but they did it just to make sure that I was impartial in the case, wink, wink. You know, it feels like a protection racket, like mobsters saying, you know, hey, shop owners, uh, give me your money and I won't break your windows, basically. Right. Like we're just going to demand we're going to demand money for neutrality. We're going to demand money to just do what we're otherwise obligated to do. That's that's a pretty bad statement by Negrera. And. And it's also completely inconsistent with what Barcelona's explanation is, which is that it was about refereeing, you know, technical reports on referees. So that's a pretty bad fact. And then, of course, as you mentioned earlier, Negrera, Bartomeu said Negrera tried to blackmail him when he ended the arrangement, threatening to make, to go public with their arrangement. And you don't threaten to expose a perfectly legitimate agreement. You, if, if you're threatening to expose this arrangement that they had, then you yourself must believe that it would be at least embarrassing, if not, you know, seriously, legally problematic for Barcelona. And, and of course, he didn't follow through. He didn't make it public when, Bar when Bartomeu stopped the payments. Why? Uh, well, the most logical explanation to me is because he, he himself was implicated, in, at least because he didn't report payments for tax purposes, but maybe also because he knew he was implicated in a more nefarious payment for favorable treatment scandals. So that's a bad fact. And then fourth, and probably the most damning one, as you mentioned earlier, is the prosecutors charged them. And prosecutors don't tend to bring charges without pretty solid evidence because it's it's a pretty embarrassing thing for a prosecutor to bring a case that, that falls apart for lack of evidence. So it feels like they must have something pretty, pretty damning or pretty solid and that, the, you know, to, to support the very specific charge they made, which was that there was an exchange for money to carry out actions tending to favor Barcelona in the decision-making of referees in the matches played by the club. That's the language. Obviously, that's a translation, but that's the language of the, of the, uh, of the complaint or, or the charging documents, which is that's, you know, in, influence tending to favor Barcelona in the decision-making of referees in the matches played by the club. That's, that sounds pretty bad. So, uh, you know, on the other hand, though, I should point out, Marca had a report last week that the prosecutors do not have any evidence of actual favor, you know, payment for favorable treatment on the field. So trying to read those two things and make, make them consistent. It does. And, and also with Millard, Colin Millard's tweet this morning, it does feel like maybe there was some influence in the uh, assignment of referees to matches or like this report this morning, Barcelona being tipped off to who the referee would be, which which I can see giving them a slight advantage in preparing for for a match. And obviously, if there was influence on the assignment of the referee to to who would referee a particular match, you know, maybe someone that is not as perceived as anti Barca as some other refs or 
someone that referees a game that's that's helpful or consistent with Barcelona style, like calls a lot of fouls or something when other teams are trying to disrupt, you know, Barca's more free flowing uh, style. So, and that would not implicate the referees themselves, right? If they may not have known that they, that there, even if there was some corrupt arrangement to influence who would referee a game, the actual referees on the field might have, you likely would have no knowledge of that, which also makes some sense to me because again, I, I feel like it's, it's difficult to to imagine even several referees involved in you know in, in just outright bribery for for calls and also you know you and I we've we've watched all these matches over the years and yeah we get some favorable calls here we get some bad calls there some matches seem to be refereed more you know we get a little lucky in some matches we're we're just as unlucky in others like it doesn't strike me that watching matches like, wow, Barcelona sure gets a lot of calls. Like I know other fans of other clubs in the league will be like, are you kidding me? You guys get all the calls, but I, I really trying to be as objective as possible. It really doesn't feel that way. We've, we've had calls that cost us the league for God's sake, right? In 2017, I think it was right. I mean, and that's right in the heart of when this happened. And again, I don't want to be like specific calls. Don't exonerate. I, I, I don't want to, you know, run afoul of my own admonition there, but it just doesn't feel like we systematically have gotten, you know, more than our fair share of calls over the years. But, you know, maybe that's just my own my own bias. But then and then finally, I just want to say the other reason I find the innocent explanation hard to believe is there just isn't any feasible, proper, non-corrupt explanation for why you're paying an executive over the refereeing committee all this money. There's yeah. no it's just wrong. Right. Like yeah. and, and especially when both sides hid this, like I go over the financial statements every year, as you know, in the annual report. And I read all the notes and I read everything. And there's never anything in there about consultants, to, you know, referee consultants. Like, where's if, if this is totally on the up and up, then why is it then why is it being hidden? Why is it going through a shell company? Why? Why are why is there no transparency about it? You know, in the law, there's a, not to throw out too much Latin, but there's a Latin phrase race ipsa loquitur. It means the thing speaks for itself. And it's kind of like. You know, here's what here, here they paid money to a guy who's currently on the you know a, a VP of the referee committee, they paid him seven million dollars, and it's like that's it. It speaks for itself. It's wrong. You can't. There's nothing. There's no. There's no proper explanation for it. So it, we're all t we're talking about gradations of 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 badness here, right? Like what's what really happened and how bad is it? Because even the most innocent explanation is not is is at least not consistent with ethical business practices is what I'll say. Right. So that's kind of where I'm at at the moment. The mo you know, if you want to, if I want to spin the other way, the, the most plausible, terrible outcome, I think for Barca. And again, I find this hard to believe a little bit, but it does have some, it does explain a few things is if, and again, I'm just speculating here. I just want to make that clear. Right. Like what if Negrera was a middleman and he, we used him, Barca used him to approach referees about specific games. Again, this is speculative, but to me, it has an air of plausibility for a few reasons. First, again, there's no way that all or even a significant number of refs in Spain are corrupt. That's the kind of far-flung conspiracy that people imagine happens, but is virtually impossible to pull off in the real world because, you know, of its breadth and complexity and how many people are involved and how many people would know about it. But but a few, like one or two or three refs could be corrupt, right? But it would be too risky for Barca or someone at Barca to approach individual refs directly 
with like a wink wink suggestion of taking a bribe to influence the match. They don't, and it wouldn't know if that ref was going to turn around and report them immediately to the authorities. Right. And this happens all the time in, in corrupt bribery schemes. You need a middleman, you need an intermediary, someone who knows the people involved and who can make this suggestion to the people that he, because he knows all the refs, who he thought might be receptive to the idea. And he can suggest it in a casual and nuanced way with plausible deniability without even mentioning the club that's involved or even if there is a club involved. And if he gets rebuffed, then, then they walk away and there's not really anything that the referee can report. And every, in that way, everybody maintains plausible deniability and there's, there's sort of nothing, even if the referee goes and reports, it's like, well, there must be some misunderstanding because we never actually, I never actually said anything specific about doing this. And that's why, I mean, intermediaries are used in bribery schemes all the time. I mean, you can see it's very obvious why, why you would want to do that. And this type of arrangement, the other reason I find it somewhat plausible is it would, it would, it would explain the amount of money involved a little bit better than Negrera just pocketed the entire 7 million for what tipping us off to who the refs were in a few games or helping with the assignment of refs. That seems a little bit absurd, but if some of the money was for him as an intermediary and some of it was for paying individual referees, then the amount of money involved starts to make a little more sense. So again, that's all speculative. That's like a worst case scenario that I can imagine in my mind. I'm not saying that that has happened or that's what, you know, what's going on here. But to me, those are sort of the, the barbell way to look at it with, I, I gave my first, my very positive spin the best I could. And this is kind of the most negative result that I can think of. And hopefully it's farther down the spectrum towards the, you know, more innocent, quote unquote, merely, merely unethical conflict of interest rather than patently illegal. Yeah. And when you say, you know, again, really important words here. Uh, speculation, worst case scenario. I, I think that's a perfect transition to kind of finish this last chapter of this, and that is with the speculative punishment that would come down for FC Barcelona. So again, a reminder that the degree of punishment will depend on how many actions and how, we'll say, elaborate this plan of corruption was. So the severity of the actions will dictate the punishment. If Barcelona did benefit, either directly or indirectly, the penalty for the club is convicted, if convicted, is a fine. That is what is in the law, that it's a fine, they convicted. However, depending on the severity of the actions, judicial intervention, suspension of activities, or the dissolution of the club could all take place. That's also in the law. So that last part is, of course, what will make the headlines, because <laughs> the dissolution of Bar FC Barcelona is going to get you on the bottom ticker. But it is only the most severe representation of the punishment if Barcelona, the club, is convicted. Remember, not all individuals, even in this case, might be convicted. So if, if there's a way to prove innocence for FC Barcelona, which will be difficult if you're charging former presidents and directors of FC Barcelona, seems difficult that the club as a legal entity would skate by while individuals went down. But, you know, as I do say that too, as for Kool-Aid and the general public continuing to view this case, not only will it take some time for this all to go down, but the club's public image will obviously take a hit as this is all happening. So when we say how long this is going to take, because let's say the club is proven of its innocence, I can assume that there will be defamation cases over and over again and things like that coming out afterwards. Like with a best case scenario for Barcelona, they're going to be in court for 10 years, 15 years, going through all the different, you know, whether they're guilty or of what, how guilty they are and different parts of the legal process goes along. So also there is 
what I want to mention too, a lot of noise to be ignored. Like it was very difficult. That's why I took a week and a half to get through this. Or I mean, I guess it was only five, six days ago, but it feels like it's been a lifetime. But I took a few days to get through this just because it took so long to figure out what was just noise, what was actual in the legal jargon. And I wanted to get through all that. So I also want to mention too, Roselle and Bartomeu are key figures in this. And they are part of the noise that should not be ignored. They are part of this case and are part of this case as presidents of FC Barcelona. So while seeing them rot in jail may feel really cathartic for a lot of people, it won't be the best outcome for the club. They cannot take the fall for this case because if they are given multiple years of jail time, that likely means that FC Barcelona has also received not only a hefty fine, but likely some other administrative punishment. That is what I'll say. If, if Rizal and Bartomeu get full jail time and they are, um, they are charged with criminal corruption to the highest letter of the law that they can under, under the, the, the sports corruption law, then again, FC Barcelona as a legal entity is probably likely in a lot of trouble. The other figures and noise you're going to hear, Tebas, as we mentioned, how does he play in all this? Well, Liga has already come out and said that they cannot investigate because the case relates to events that took place more than three years ago. So the Liga will not come down with any sporting punishment. But UEFA and FIFA can, on their behalf, after the final ruling, take action. So that could be, let's say if the, the ruling is highly unfavorable to Barca, you could see potential European bans. You could see the stripping of the 2015 Champions League title. Those are all legal possibilities. And again, now would come down to what I would consider worst case severities of the ruling. So where else was Tebas and the Liga fit in this? Like if he does it all? Well, of course, it's the court of public opinion as much as it is his actual legal court. So Tebas, of course, does benefit by creating division between the two teams in Barcelona and Real Madrid that both rejected the, the CVC deal and are attempting to create the Super League. So if Tebas and other media and other figures around Madrid put pressure on Real Madrid to oppose Barcelona, that would benefit Tebas more than Florentino Perez and his goal of the Super League. So regardless of where the, the pressure came from, though, of course, the Real Madrid letter or statement made big news because they are now joining the lawsuit as damaged parties. But and not say I'm not concerned about that, and I, I find that to be news, Mike, but what impact they have on proving intent of criminal corruption for FC Barcelona, uh, it, it remains to be seen. Like, that seems to me like a far-fetched notion that there, anyone from Real Madrid would testify and be a witness whose testimony is going to be useful to this case, but you never yeah, know. I take, I take their statement to be, I mean, it's sort of like, a, it's, it's, it was somewhat tepid, actually, they weren't just they weren't just piling on and, and, you know, they didn't sign the original letter from the other the other first and second division team sort of condemning Barcelona over this. My first suspicion was they had a similar arrangement of some kind with someone. But again, that's speculative. But I think I think they're what they're saying more is if if this happened, if Barcelona did this, then we are an aggrieved party. We're we're a victim, essentially. Yeah. And we want to have our say in court when when, Vic, you know, when victims get a chance to to speak about what the punishment should be, but I don't I don't think uh, you know unless there's unless there's somebody within Real Madrid who who actually has actual knowledge of interactions with Negreira or something I, I don't see them being a witness in the liability part of the case you know, but you know as to punishment we should first we should say you know in Spain in Spain like the U S that there's a presumption of innocence in in, in the criminal court so even though all this looks pretty bad, it's all going to come down to proof, right? The presumption, you know, overcoming the presumption of innocence requires proof. And it's in, in the, in the U S the standard is in the, in a criminal case is beyond all reasonable doubt. Right. So 
yeah, I don't, it's, I don't know what exactly the wording is of the standard in Spain, but I know it's similar to that. So it has to be a pretty high level of proof to convict someone criminally. And that goes for the club as well. As for punishments for the club, let's say, you know, sort of a worst case scenario and there, the club is found to have, you know, Rosé and, and, and Bartomeu and maybe Grau and, and um, Soler too, or whoever, you know, it is convicted and it's, it's determined in court beyond, you know, beyond the, the level of proof required that they violated the corruption statute criminally. The, the most likely outcome, like you said, for Barcelona is a fine. Now that could be a very significant fine, right? That hampers Barcelona's f- even further in a sporting sense. You know, as we know, the financial problems over the last few years have hampered our ability to in the market and, and has hurt, hurt Barcelona sportingly. And yes, it is possible that, uh, that the club could be dissolved as a punishment. I think that's entirely unlikely. I'm almost to the point where I'd say it's never going to happen for two reasons. One is in the statute, that type of punishment is permitted only if necessary to prevent ongoing violations of the law. So that's, I, I don't think that's at issue here, right? I mean, it's a little bit, it's a little bit troubling that Laporta is president again. And even though he's not charged, he's only not charged because the law, his, his, his first term ended in July of 2010. And this law came into effect in December of 2020. Yeah. So he can't be charged because he was out of that position six months yeah. before. But, but he, we all know he made the payments too, like, or the club made these payments while he was president too. So in a sense, someone could make an argument and say, well, they still got the same guy in charge to who made these corrupt payments, you know, in the early part of, of the, of the, you know, last decade. And, but I don't, I don't think that's, I don't think you can really make a case that the club has to be dissolved to prevent, you know, further violations of the statute. That just doesn't make it. Yeah. Sense. I think and with this, with, with the payments stopping in 2018 yeah. in the fashion that they did. Right. That means that this is, this is basically has been over for five years again, which five years also looking at the statutes of the Liga, the three years and things like that. Like, yeah, like time-wise that's important. Right. And there's not think, ongoing, there's not an ongoing right. corrupt scheme. Which, which is very different. And this is like, I want to bring up the, the Juve stuff just for a second in 2006 and what is it? Uh, what was the scandal called? Uh, Capolicio or what? Uh, oh, and, and Juventus. Yeah, yeah. With, with with Juve and and I mean it wasn't just Juve; it was Fiorentina. Like there were other clubs involved and implicated. And I mean that was, I mean again to compare these are, <laughs> I'm not. This is not just a, a Barcelona case, but I'm saying like that was something much deeper and much more blatant and much easier to prove even like the evidence there was uh, i mean it, people are gonna write whole books on this while i'm hoping for this two two hour pod i mean two one hour podcast get get us done by however long this takes but again however long this takes is also as i as i wrap this up about about this topic here it's important because this is i mean prior to this being a whole big trial and a whole big song and dance which might not take place for six months a year eight months however long it takes the next, action, the next action will likely be a hearing with witnesses and accused parties testifying. And at that point, if the magistrate does feel like a trial is needed in this case, that would come next. And there is a possibility that when the evidence is presented and the depositions take place and, again, like the witnesses and the accused parties all testify, that there is not even enough to bring this to trial. Like that is a possibility. Now, of course, I've heard many times at Spanish courts, it's a little bit of a, a, a show, a little bit of a song and dance. So certainly bringing one of your most famous 
like, and that's a question too about Spain, like the Spanish court. Like, is, are, do they are they going to feel comfortable bringing one of their their biggest? I, I mean, I'd say we'll say entertainment exports, right? Like representations of their country to court in this way, like without without full evidence of a conviction at the end of it. Like that would be the, that would be the other part of that too. Well, that's what I was going to say. Is my second reason why I don't think dissolution is on the table is because a, a court in 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 Barcelona is just not going to dissolve football club to Barcelona. It's just not going to happen. Right. It's like, yeah. it's just shooting yourself in the foot. It's just yep. that, that kind of thing is not going to happen. But one, one thing I should point out about Spanish courts. So in the U S we have a different system than Spain where the parties conduct depositions between each other. So if I'm representing one party in the case and I need to take a bunch of depositions of the other party, then I, I can do that through the discovery process and we can, I can subpoena them and I can subpoena third parties for documents or whatever, or, or for depositions doesn't work like that in Spain. It's a it's called the civil law system um, compared to our adversarial system. And there, the judge conducts the depositions. So the judge is an investigative judge, um, and he can call people to court and give and take depositions. He can say produce these documents. It's more driven by the judge than it's driven by the parties. The parties can ask the judge to to provide certain things or require certain things, but it's really up to the judge. And sometimes in Spain, you'll have judges that are very, very activists in this regard. And they get their, you know, they get their teeth into a case and they, and they, they really, really, they almost like a prosecutor. They really are the investigative arm of the court. And then sometimes you get a judge who's like, eh, I don't really like this case, or I don't really want this to happen. You know, so a lot of it depends on the judge, the specific judge that's involved. So we'll see, you know, we'll just have to see how that unfolds and where it goes. And I guess the last thing I want to say, you mentioned potential punishment from UEFA and FIFA. To me, that's the most concerning thing. Now, I I don't think that ultimately it's in the best interest of UEFA to ban Barca for a year or two from the Champions League. But, you know, with the whole Super League thing, uh, Barcelona is not on on UEFA's list of you know friends right now we're, we're considered a problem child really you know if not an enemy and so that does concern me a little bit because at the end of the day all these things are political and they're about they're about money and power so if barcelona were ha, in, if the spanish courts were to determine that barca did some you know violated the statute or did something corrupt and they're punished even if that punishment is a small fine or something I, uefa could use that as an excuse to punish Barca, yeah, and, and I think for for, for for other reasons, right? For other yeah, reasons, I mean, that I, and I think that's that that it's what makes it feel completely political because because this this should be taking place only in Spain. Like it feels like this is if it is corruption, it is Spanish corruption that does not extend to UEFA. Like so, it's like as if that Barcelona's corruption is not under the jurisdiction of UEFA. It was that they're punishing this club for being bad for something that. You know, it's like it's like when a kid acts up at daycare and then their parents pick him up and then the, the daycare teacher was like, hey, we put him in timeout for five hours because they, they pushed another kid. And then they get home and you put them in timeout, too, because even though they've they already paid the crime at daycare, you like just need to hammer home the point that like you've done something wrong to, to for yeah. the, example, the problem child. So, okay. yeah, it does. It does seem like it does seem like even in an order worst case scenario. That whatever happened here was limited to domestic competitions. That there wasn't obviously Negrero doesn't have any power with regard to to European matches. So I agree with you on that point. But again, it may have nothing to do with what's precisely right. If UEFA right. sees a chance to 
to drop the hammer on Barcelona. And they want to do that to keep Barcelona in line or for, for whatever reason, or punish us for, for dabbling with the super league and not letting it go or whatever. I could see that potentially happening. But again, we're talking way down the road and, and hopefully it, it never comes to any of that. Yep. Yep. And then by that time, I would also hope too that the club is in a better financial standing. Cause again, like the fine that you'd think about now, as opposed to even five years or two years, three years, whatever down the road, when that final ruling comes down, Barcelona at this moment, of course, are going to have a much harder time commanding and dealing with a fine than I'm hoping. <laughs> yeah, this is optimistic that they're able yeah. to financially deal with in two or three years time. Honestly, I doubt the I doubt the fine would be so material that it would matter nearly as much as like missing a year of the Champions League. That's true that, too. Yeah, just based on know, revenue. Yeah, or yeah. or even or even how much revenue Barcelona's losing by renovating their stadium and being in Maj week last like next year, like the, like the amount of money that they're losing for that. Yeah. It's one of the players who will be at Maj week. So good transition here to the final two things <laughs> that we have to talk about here real quick. The Gabi case, that one's actually like right on the doorstep here. And you know, you and I might have talked about this before as, as frustrating as it be that the court official had overturned the first team administration of Gabi because of a missed deadline so La Liga, I, I believe the last time I heard it is allowing Gabi to keep the six and keeping the registration, but the contract is going back to a youth contract, which again, the frustration of that is that next week I'm going to have something coming out about Busquets. We'll create, we'll, I always do this replacement, you know, I use the air quotes or whatever, but you know, I'm going to have some on that and we can try to talk about transfer stuff, you know, who can Barca afford, whatever, but it always comes back to this kind of story where I go, okay. Even though Gabi's going to be a free agent, he's not going anywhere. You know, he's not going to have his head turned. He will sign that contract that they have already agreed upon with the agent. Like, there's no reason for him to rip up that contract because Barcelona failed to register him in this way, right? He's going to stay at Barcelona with the contract that they already signed uh, on that renewal. Same thing with Araujo. Araujo has already signed the deal. They're just, they have to register that deal. Balde, it seems like that renewal will get done. And Dembele, it may be in the early stages, but it seems like both parties are very optimistic for that to be done as well. So, but when it comes to registering those four renewals, that's my concern that it was so difficult for Barcelona and they failed to be able to register those players in January that to think that Barcelona is going to be able to have the, the, not only the revenue, but just the difference in the, the limit that they're able to not only get all these done, but also to sign additional players while taking others off the wages is I, I don't want to have a whole discussion about transfers and stuff in and out, but just through the lens of Gabi, that's really what concerns me the most. Like whether or not he were six or 30, whether or not he's playing on a youth contract or on a first team contract at this moment does not matter at all. Because again, he will sign that deal that renewal over the summer. He will be the six for the future for Barcelona. But the, yeah, the big more worrisome thing is the difficulties it takes for Barcelona to even get this over the line in January or their failure to get it over the line in January. That is concerning. Yeah. I agree. It's mostly an administrative annoyance, I think. <laughs> yeah. and I, but I think Kuz can remain calm about this one because, like you said, I don't think even if Gavi is deemed to be a free agent this summer, he's not going anywhere. So I'm not too worried about that. It is just that one more thing, like just one more thing we need to sort of disentangle and figure out a way to do without violating the, the salary limit, you know, which is annoying. I mean, we want to get back to a place where – you know, we can just do these routine, routine deals without having to worry about, you know, this financial gymnastics. But again, this is like, people need to keep in mind, this is not like Barca's broke and they, so they can't do it. It's, we have to, we have to work within this 
system um, and these limitations that are imposed upon us, there's not, it's not limitations that are, that are financial, it's limitations that are regulatory. And, and I think people don't understand that sometimes. Barcelona has money and we have access to credit. So, we, so Barca has really, really good liquidity right now. Maybe not as much as Man City, you know, but it's not, it's not as bad as many people think, like we're in a financial crisis. We're actually, I think we're mostly through the financial crisis. And maybe it'll take another year or two when Busquets is off the books and, and Alba's off the books and, you know, uh, some of the uh, some of the big fees that we paid during the Bartomeu era are sort of are well, off yeah. the books. Yeah, I mean, but, even the point of even the point of Busquets, like he makes 37 million euros this year. And even if he renews, I know that people look at it always from a sporting degree. And I'll t- again, I'll talk about this next week with him. But if he renews for three to four million. So imagine that. Right. Imagine your frustration with Busquets, the 37 million euro player. Fair. <laughs> but then if you view him as a three to four million player and he's basically the same player this year, next year, you know, you you understand why that deal is not say favorable for Barcelona, because, of course, you would love to be able to replace him for a younger model. But in the same regard, it's like if you view him as a three point five million player, as opposed to a thirty seven million player. Now imagine what else you can do in that wage structure. Exactly. And even even that that alone, you know, I would imagine could help us sort of fix these Gavi and Araujo and Balde registration problems and get yeah. those contracts registered. But anyway, again, it's just, it's, it's annoying because it's just one more thing we have to deal with. Like we thought, we thought that one was sort of off and in and dusted, you know, and now, okay, well that comes back. Now we have to deal with that before we deal with Araujo, before we deal with Balde. But I, I don't know, these things don't, this seems like a very minor thing compared to the Negrera case, right? Like, I think this, I think this one's going to be fine. I don't think we're losing Gabi or risk or risking losing him in any way, shape yeah. or form. Okay. Well, speaking of Gabi and Araujo though, uh, last thing, I guess I want to say real quick, like usually at Classico, we could have these huge things. I usually do like a YouTube preview and all that, but because they're playing three times in a month and, and because they won one, nothing, I think like that was such a discussion point about the possession, and all that stuff. But I think this version of El Classico might be very much not say what you're more used to, but with the exception of when Pedri will play, you know, they said that his minutes will likely be limited. How limited will he start? Will he just play in the second half or will he start and come off depending on the result? Again, worst case scenario is Barcelona lose this match and then they have 12 matches to be up six points. Mm-hmm. They have 12 matches to basically, you know, we'll say lose two games and all that, which is still a lot of work to do in the league, of course. But again, having your, players back we'll say you know especially with Dembele also to return on the horizon it mm-hmm. things are a bit more optimistic with this El Clasico than it even was for that Copa del Rey first leg or even Athletic Club right and as I said on the previous on the earlier show this week the fact that Barcelona survived the Athletic Club and survived the one nothing the Copa del Rey at the Senior Bernabeu it just like it gives you a lot of hope but of course football as you know Mike that's the thing where the minute you have hope the minute Barcelona makes you feel a little happy, well, if you're able to ignore the Negrera case, <laughs> um, as long as like the minute Barcelona gives you a little bit of hope on the field, of course that's when they dash your hopes. But yeah, I, like things going into this El Clasico are generally, to me, I think even tactically pretty straightforward, depending on the the Pedri minutes. Yeah, no, I agree. I think the I think the lineup picks itself, with the exception of like you said, are, are you do you do you start Pedri or do you do you want him there at the end of the game and start Kessie instead, and then and then go from there you know, with Pedri to close out the game. I think that's really the only question, right? I mean, I think we'll see yeah. the Busquets, De Jong, Gavi, and either Pedri or Kessie in the midfield. Hopefully, Valde, Kunde, Christensen, Araujo are on the back. I, I expect Araujo to play right back, as he usually mm-hmm. does, to contain Vinny. 
Yeah, remember, he was suspended, not hurt. So he should be fine. Right. And then Lewandowski and Rafinha up, up front, mm-hmm. I would think. And Gabi sort of playing that modified wing role. I mean, that's what I would expect. I, you know, I was really pessimistic going into the Copa semi first leg. I think most people were with all the injuries and, and, and who we were missing. And they pulled that out. And I think they pulled it out because deep down, it's just more important to Barca than to Real Madrid this year. Right. I mean, and I think it's the same with the league. In, in some way, I think Real Madrid kind of has given up on the league, not maybe not consciously, but, you know, they play Liverpool today. They're going to finish that off. That's the other advantage we have is we have the week off and they're going to come off, you know, a Champions League game that they're playing today. And I just think we're, we should be a little hungrier to put the league, to put the league away. A win puts it away, basically, right? It's mm-hmm. no Liga if we that's win. Nine weekend, points. Right? Yeah, that's It'll nine 12, points. You know, yeah. Yeah, 12 if we or win. 12, yeah. So I think that gives, and it's at home as well. So I think we we have all the sort of intangibles in this in this matchup this weekend. Hopefully Lewandowski wakes up from his recent sort of slumber, and we win two one. That's that's what I'm going with. Yeah, Barca doesn't have any draws this year. Like just that's still nine points with a one one draw or zero zero draw. So a draw yeah. even benefits Barcelona. So usually I feel like Mike is a case where Barcelona, if they draw or lose, they've lost. And if they, you know, they have to win, but this is one of those rare cases. I think, yeah, that if Barcelona win or draw, then it, they, they won the game basically. I um, agree. I agree. A draw would be fine. I, even at nine point lead with the classic goes behind us. I think, I think, I think it's pretty much locked and loaded. Mathematically. Yeah. They just have to not get distracted by the things happening off the field, but as was mentioned by, by Emil earlier in the week as well with the Nagara case and all that noise and everything like that. Again, that stopped in 2018. So these players were not around for it. Like they don't listen to that stuff. They don't worry about that stuff. So they're focused on El Clasico as is Xavi and things like that. So Mike, thankfully, I think not say we're going to push the Nagara case <laughs> into the future, but I think that hurricane and that storm you know, I think we'll quiet down in the next week or two, like how much evidence and how much things will continue to, to leak out. Who knows, right? It seems like we continue. By the time this is out, there might be two or three more surprises, unfortunately, if I if it takes me 24 hours to get this out. So we don't know the twists and turns that are coming, but I think you will start to see this quiet down a little bit as basically the prosecutor's office, again, they bring in testimony and the, the judge, you know, makes it. Speaking of that, yeah, I... I did all my homework and you still got me with, I still learned something today, which is great. So did all my homework, but I learned something about the Spanish court system, but Mike, that's why I had John. I really appreciate that. So uh, thanks so much for the time. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Dan. Yep. And if you enjoyed, I don't know how you could have, but if you did enjoy this content, not only can you follow him down in the show notes below, but I am, and you know, we're on Twitter and Instagram, TikTok at the Barcelona pod, close Facebook group, Patreon, as well as YouTube and all that other stuff. So as a programming note, this is the last time I will be speaking to another person on the podcast for a little over a week. I'm going away for next week, but I'm hard at work preparing all the content for next week. So there still will actually be there. Well, the, the first podcast of the week will be the El Clasico review as the five headlines. So I'll have a little preamble there as well. So a little extra for the podcast listeners, as well as the five headlines. And then I have two different things planned for next week as little mini podcasts, like just little 10, 15 minute in your ears. So that will be available midweek or whenever it is, Wednesday, Friday, Wednesday, Thursday, whatever it may be. So there's three different things to look out for next week. But again, that's the last time I'll be speaking to a person for at least a week and a half now, because again, I'm going away for the week. 
international break, perfect time, worked out, had nothing to do with the international break. But either way, I, I hope to talk to everybody soon. So you'll be hearing from me again. But for all my guests, yeah, we'll, we'll have to wait on them for another minute. But if this was, again, something you enjoyed. Make sure you share it. Let everybody know. And if this was the best, the most comprehensive version of the Nagara case discussion that you heard, I do employ you. Just share this to even non-Barca fans. They're like, hey, what's happening? Why are Barcelona so corrupt? Like I said, early in the week, I have a friend who doesn't know anything about the sport texting me like, hey, why are Barcelona coming up on my ESPN alerts? And I have to tell him, okay, I'm going to have a podcast that's going to be really confusing. You won't understand at all, but <laughs> listen to that. So if you did enjoy this and this is helpful for somebody, please share it. That'd be helpful. But again, thanks so much for listening to the show. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. Or to Barca. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.